Listener Production. Hi, I'm Amy Dale and I'm not a lawyer. But since working at the Law Society, I've met and worked with plenty of them. And I've also met countless people who need help understanding the law and, more importantly, knowing how to find the right lawyer. That's why we've created this podcast, to help make the law accessible for you, for me, for everyone. No jargon, no law speak, I promise. Just me diving into the most common legal problems to help you make the best decisions possible. Welcome to Lawfully Explained. Today on Lawfully Explained, we're tackling the rapidly evolving and at times overwhelming world of AI. As businesses continue to adopt cutting-edge AI technologies to streamline operations, improve customer experience, and boost productivity, they're also encountering a plethora of legal considerations. On today's episode, we're going to unravel those complexities surrounding the utilization of these open-source AI platforms and how they're used in work environments. But before we start, I'd like to show you just how powerful these growing AI technologies are. This next piece of audio is an example of what AI can do. The script was written completely by ChatGPT, a language generator, and the voice is an AI clone of my own voice. The only human involvement in this clip was a short prompt telling ChatGPT what to write about and a sample clip of my voice for the AI voice clone to learn from. Have a listen and see if you can tell the difference between the AI voice and my voice. Hi, I'm Amy, but I'm not really Amy. I'm just a machine pretending to be Amy. It's quite scary, isn't it? I can actually make Amy say whatever I want. How about everyone who listens to this podcast gets a million dollars just for listening? No, I'm just kidding. Please don't message the podcast asking for a million dollars. I've got to go. I've been hired to write the new Avengers movie. Bye. So I actually played this clip to a few people around my office and no one could tell that the voice and script were completely computer generated, although my mum and my husband could. But still, very, very powerful stuff. So I'm joined today by Simon Burns, who's a partner at Gilbert and Tobin. And Simon's going to explain to me how employers and employees can navigate this exploding world of AI. Simon, welcome to Lawfully Explained. Thanks, Amy. Glad to be here. Can you give me a very quick explanation of what ChatGPT is and how it fits into this AI ecosphere? On one level, it's just a really good chatbot. But what sort of sits behind that is it's a a large language model. So that basically means it can digest different languages and language in a broad sense. So pictures, text, computer code, things like that, and also generate those things. So it's a species of AI called generative AI, which basically means it digests a whole bunch of information. In the case of ChatGPT, that's like the internet plus a bunch of sort of licensed data sets. And it uses that information to train itself. And then based on that training and what it's learned, it can generate outputs. So that's why it's called generative AI. What are some of the most common ways that it is being used by the everyday person? As generative AI, it's essentially a, a general purpose tool. So it can be used for sort of almost anything. So it's the quintessential jack of all trades, master of none sort of thing. Although we'll, we'll dig into that because it's very, very good at some things and not so good at others. But some things I use it for are really basic stuff like doing personalized bedtime stories and songs and raps and stuff like that for my kids. A lot oh, wow. Of, yeah, it's, it's remarkably good at that. So give that a go. Next time your kids are sort of begging you for a story. 
people sort of give it the the contents of its fridge and say, I've got, you know, X, Y, and Z. Can you come up with a recipe for me? So there's sort of some of the personal things in the workplace. It's really good for sort of brainstorming and coming up with sort of initial sort of generation of ideas and cross-checking the way you're thinking about things. Basic research, it's pretty good at, but you need to be careful because ChatGPT in particular is trained off a 2001 data set. So anything recent, it knows absolutely nothing about. Must be a beautiful place to be in. (laughs) It's a beautiful place to be in. A little bit like my fishbowl memory at times. Um, (laughs) And also in the work context, it's, it's really good for sort of proofreading documents, changing tone of emails, just making your grammar better than it usually is. So that's a pretty basic thing. I know a lot of students use it in that context. I think students also use it to do practice questions so they can sort of study independently. I suspect quite a few use it to do exam responses and things like that in essays, but we won't necessarily go there. That's a bit fraught. So it's it's good at lots of things and and I think you can use it for almost anything these days, but there's some risks which we'll no doubt get to. Yeah, well, looking at the work example, and let's pick up from what you were saying about emails and people using it to, in your example, you were saying more to check emails. But let's say I use ChatGPT to write an email for me at work and I just copy and paste it and then put it straight in. Is it okay for me to be passing off those words as my own in that case? Because someone thinks that they're my words, but actually I just got ChatGPT to write it for me. Yeah, there there are a few issues to sort of think through in this context. And I think it really depends. This is a bit of a lawyer's answer, but it but depends on We're the context. We're used con- to those on the show. Yeah. <laughs> depends on the context and what the email is and what it isn't, right? So if it's just a conversational email, hey, I can't make this meeting, these are the dates I'm available, uh, that's actually functionality which is going to be built into Microsoft Office for an additional price pretty soon. So that sort of stuff I think will become the norm. If it's actually like if you're a lawyer in professional services industry or the content of your email is, you know, you're in the creative industry, there are a whole bunch of other considerations that need to be sort sort of thought through. There's probably two or three we can touch on. So the first one is this issue of hallucinations, which to sort of boil it down is really the AI just makes stuff up. The kicker with that is it can be really difficult to understand when it's made stuff up. Uh, it's not like when you're Googling, there's a level of implicit verification you do. Like if we pick up the law firm example and you're just Googling what's the state of law around X and you go to law firm's website and read one of their articles, you know it's been written by that law firm. GPT and other large language models, you don't know where it's pulled the data from. So you don't know if it's good to start with and you also don't know if it's just made it up by one of these hallucinations. And the tricky thing is even if you dig into it and say, what's the source of that data? It will just dig itself a deeper hole. So it will go and cite fake sources you know, picking up the legal examples again, it, it cites fake judgments, quotes, judges, <laughs> makes up quotes. So It commits itself to the lie. Yeah. It doesn't it, like it, being told it's it wrong. It just keeps going. Um, it's quite malevolent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a toddler. Yeah, it'll just keep digging the hole. Speaking of toddlers and not like not liking being told what to do and not liking discipline, I actually would just want to come back to the email example could my employer discipline me for using ChatGPT to produce work, even if it's hitting the company's standard of good work? Yeah, so for this one, I think about Bob. So you may or may not recall, but about 10 years ago, there was a, a software developer in the US who outsourced his job to China. So he would come into the office, he'd flick off his daily tasks to someone he'd employed in China for a couple of dollars an hour. 
and he would sit there and watch cat videos. Now, the, the interest... <laughs> True, true story. The, the int- I don't want to like Bob, but that is quite funny. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, to pick up on the, the quality of the output, he was actually, his performance reviews were like, you're a great coder, the quality is really good, it's very clear. Obviously, when the company found out, you know, not soon after Bob no longer worked for his employer. So, and what that really boils down to is a couple of things. Like, there's a, there's a professional integrity point, right? So, the employer is employing you for your skill, your time, your intellect, your capabilities, if it wanted to take the risk in getting someone from China or using ChatGPT in this example, it could just do that itself without having to employ you. So there's a there's a professional integrity and ethics point here. Um, it's a little bit of a letter of the agreement versus spirit of the agreement kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on, but there's also probably the letter of the agreement too. So a lot of workplaces these days have policies in place around how you can and can't use ChatGPT or AI in particular. Um, and a lot of that also goes to things like the previous question around should you tell people that you're using it? You need to be transparent, ideally. Being transparent sort of goes to both accountability, but also if someone knows that this has been produced using ChatGPT and not your skill, they might apply a different type of quality assurance or process to it to make sure, hey, did you check this? Do I need to check this? Is it right? Can an employer put a total AI ban in a company policy? Absolutely, and and lots have. I think the world's changing a little bit, but certainly when ChatGPT first came out, a lot of organisations as an immediate response was like, no, put out a policy, employees, please do not use this, you cannot use it. For a variety of reasons, there's the quality of output reason, there's also a bunch of confidentiality and IP style issues that we as employers need to sort of think through including because any data that sort of gets imported into these models can quite often get used by the developers of those models to further train and develop them. And that that can cause sort of some competition, uh, not competition, some confidentiality and privacy sort of issues. So yes, there's certainly the opportunity for employees to ban use of AI and or set out policies and guardrails around how it needs to be used and what it can't be used for and what it can be used for. Let's talk a little bit more about the issues around confidential information, because as you were saying at the start of the show, these platforms are what you put into them. What can those issues around confidential information being submitted to an open source platform, like what are the consequences of doing that? Yeah, so I think the first point on this is almost every bit of information, particularly customer information, but most data within an organisation has some sort of data use right or restriction attached to it, whether it's via contract, sort of common law duties of confidentiality, privacy issues. So the fact of putting information into these models quite often means that those models will use the information to further develop and train themselves. And so that is a use of information which may be a restricted use of information based on whoever gave you that information in the first place or privacy law or equitable duties of confidentiality and things like that. So, So there's a disclosure and use issue if you're putting this information in. Now, the the providers of these models are sort of alive to this issue and, you know, for different price points now, they've set up structures and abilities to actually restrict and restrain the way they use sort of that input data. But certainly the open source and free versions, it's safe to assume that that confidential information, personal information has been used in ways which probably isn't permitted by whoever gave that information to you in the first place. So there really is a difference with these, like any subscription model, you can have your basic model right up to premium models. And there really is a difference between if you're prepared to pay, it can generate much more curated content for you. Certainly more 
privacy and confidentiality protective sort of environment so that you can actually use it for the more interesting use cases in the workplace context. But that's a relatively new thing that's come out primarily in the last three to four months, actually. How secure are these platforms in terms of the information they hold and what they choose to release to people? So in terms of the inputs that go in, I think they're pretty secure, right? So the other point to note is quite often the input data is tokenized, so encrypted, really, so that generally speaking, their staff shouldn't be able to just unencrypt and untokenize your input data. There's exceptions to that rule where they think there's abusive material and those sorts of things. They'll go in and sort of untokenize and read the actual inputs, but quite often it's all protected against external threats, but also access controls within the organization. So generally speaking, it's pretty good. I'm interested to know, Simon, are lawyers currently using ChatGPT? Uh, The short answer is yes, but up until recently, for the reasons I just talked about around confidentiality in particular, it's the use case is a bit more constrained. Um, because, yeah, what would they be using it for? So we use it for things like, you know, really basic research. Again, we, we're aware of the, the shortcomings of it and the hallucinations. So it's sort of, it can be useful for a junior lawyer to do the first sort of scouring of information to then validate and cross-check and start preparing the advice around But it's really good for sort of the ancillary bits and pieces to our job. So not necessarily the core advice, but, you know, business development, understanding a client's business and industry, generating pitch content and those sorts of things where it doesn't have to consume client information. And then I think once we sort of get that confidentiality protective systems in place where we've got confidence that the AI is not using the input customer data or client data in ways we're not comfortable with or the client's not comfortable with, I think that unlocks far more interesting use cases around, you know, helping us automate document generation and drafting clauses and extracting, you know, insights and risk positions out of a suite of contracts and things like that. So it'll get really interesting pretty quickly, I think. Have there been any times already where lawyers have been tripped up using ChatGPT? Yeah, the best example of this is, I was about to say a poor bloke in the US, but he really did trip himself up. So he was preparing pleading, so submissions to court, and the hallucination thing is sort of the quintessential example. But he used ChatGPT to say, you know, what what's some case law to support these arguments? And it made up cases, it made up judges' quotes, um, and he put that in the pleadings to the court. And so the courts obviously read this and go, what is this all about? And Who is this judge? Who is this judge that's being quoted and who are you, lawyer, doing this? So that didn't end well for the lawyer. So that's, that's sort of the quintessential example of lawyers using it in a way where they don't understand the tech. And I think that's, that's probably what we've seen the most of is, you know, the rise of ChatGPT and its sort of peers over the last six months has been super rapid and a lot of people have been playing with it without really understanding what it's good at and what it's not good at. And that's, so we've seen quite a few high profile slip-ups, if we call it that. Um, I think these days people are more attuned to some of these issues. So I think the the risk profile and the the slip-ups are going to be less, but there's some lessons that we've learned along the way. Simon, we've talked about using ChatGPT for things like work emails, but I'm sure that there are a lot of people who might consider using it for documents that could have more serious consequences and more serious impact on someone's life. And I'm thinking things like any form of contract or something like a will. 
what are the risks of going it alone using ChatGPT versus going and getting legal advice when it comes to these important life issues? I mean, there's a little bit of the hallucination thing, but also just accuracy and your ability to rely on it. So a lot of areas of law, wills and estates is one, but things like privacy policies and those sorts of contracts, it will do potentially a good job, but potentially it's going to miss key stuff. So we've actually, I've personally done some tests on it, writing privacy policies or checking privacy policies. And there's, in the Privacy Act, there's a list of things that have to be in a privacy policy. And in that instance, it missed one or two. So 80% of it's right, 20% is wrong, and that 20% is is going to trip you up. And if you apply that to wills, you will may not be enforceable. Contracts, if the execution block's wrong or something like that, the whole thing may not be enforceable. So it can be a good starting point, but it's not a substitution for, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, my perspective's maybe fortunately, uh, replacing lawyers just yet. But it's a bit of a watch this space thing, to be, to be honest, because I think there will be law firms who develop solutions that are tried and tested and are ticking all the boxes to make sure that their outputs are compliant. And I don't think that's too far away. Harnessing technology and in-person expertise. Correct. Or, or just a very, this is the, the jack of all trades, master of none thing with chatbots and LLMs. So they're very good at lots of things, but they're not experts in anything. And I think if we develop more narrow focused versions of these things, which is where the world is going, then they can be expert in those things, but it's, it's not going to be a freeware version. Another issue I want to ask about with AI is copyright and how this can impact people who are perhaps in more creative industries or people who want to use ChatGPT and AI platforms for more creative uses. So for an example, say that I ask ChatGPT to write me a poem and then it wins a major award and that comes with prize money and some accolades. Have I been deceitful? Have you been deceitful? So this is the spirit and the letter of the law sort of thing. You probably have been deceitful, right? So coming back to the honesty and integrity point, like if you're submitting creative content that is wholly written by a software tool as your own in a competition and winning it against others who are, you know, by the sweat of their brow writing this stuff, you're probably not high on the integrity and honesty scale. Um, <laughs> and you're probably you know, high on the deceitful scale. Obviously not on the poetry writing. Yeah, I can't even exactly. write myself. And, and I think you'll find that when you get to the T's and C's of the competition, that quite often they will say it needs to be original works in which you own the copyright, which sort of brings, arguably, they might be original works, even despite the fact that it's developed wholly by an AI. I think a lot of authors are challenging that, particularly in the US. But when we come to the issue of copyright and do you own the copyright? Yes, I wanted to ask you that. Do I own the copyright or does ChatGPT own that copyright? No one owns the copyright is the general answer. So it depends a little bit on the jurisdiction, but in Australia, the the position at the minute is no one owns the copyright. So the copyright is basically based off the principle that when you are investing in creating in creative industries, you're using intellectual you know, ability and effort. Um, and human authorship, which is sort of the base tenant of it, then copyright attaches. If there isn't that sweat of the brow, there isn't human authorship, then there is no copyright in the work. There was actually a case a little while back around a monkey who stole someone's camera and took a photo. And it sort of looked at, well, who owns the copyright in the photo because the monkey actually pressed the shutter button 
Um, <laughs> so it's a little bit similar to that. So in this instance, the AI is producing it. There's no human intervention at that sort of purest level So and human authorship, so there's no copyright attached. So coming back to the, the competition, if the term and condition of the competition is that you need to own copyright in the works that submitted, you don't. So you can fall foul of that. I suspect a lot of T's and C's in those sort of artistic competitions these days will probably prohibit the use of generative AI. It is a little bit murky though, because there's obviously a spectrum. So there's a world where I think a lot of creatives use chat GPT as part of, and other generative AI as part of their process to brainstorm ideas, develop sort of potential plot twists and things like that, and then still, you know, actually implement the writing and do the writing themselves. So there's there's a spectrum there where copyright may or may not attach, depending on where you are in that spectrum. And this is a, a lot of discussions going on around this, around the world, particularly in the intellectual property and creative industries, around how to deal with this sort of issue, because the law is a little bit behind the times. Moving away from poetry to million-dollar ideas, uh, which obviously we're looking at companies that might be coming out with products that have the capacity to change the world. If I'm working at a company like this and I feed a prompt and say, want to come up with this kind of invention that could completely transform humanity, and indeed ChatGPT delivers and this product hits the market, who's the inventor of that? It's a little bit similar to what we're talking about before with the spectrum. But if you boil it down to the AI is the machine or the thing that came up with the invention then it's not protected by patent law in Australia because you need a human inventor. However, when you shift the dial in different parts of the spectrum, it might just be that the AI is part of a step which enabled a human to come up with the invention and that's what you'd be, in essence, trying to argue if you're looking for patent protection. But again, it it really depends on where the needle is in the spectrum and if you can't get patent protection because it actually is a piece of software which is the inventor and has has generated this new novel idea rather than someone inputting prompts into it, the organisation's going to be looking at trade secrets and confidentiality style protections to monetize its new idea that it stumbled across via AI. Simon, I know that a lot of different countries have their own rules, laws and regulation when it comes to AI. How does that work when you're using a platform that is global? Yeah, so AI regulation is sort of the hot topic at the minute internationally. So EU is doing a ton of work and they're not too far off sort of formalising their EU AI Act. China's got laws, Canada's got proposals, Australia's got a discussion paper at the minute working through how we should structure AI regulation in Australia. But to your point, there is, and particularly in the EU, they call it the Brussels effect, where laws and regulations coming out of the EU, like the GDPR, have an extraterritorial impact. So half the world, 90% of the world, needs to comply to the extent you want to do business with the EU. And that's, that's what fundamentally I think we'll see to a large extent with AI. So if you're a global player like the big ones are and they don't want to ban use of their products in the EU or the more restrictive jurisdictions, we'll end up with this Brussels effect or high watermark where a global product needs to comply with the highest standard applicable to it in terms of the global set of regulations. We've looked at a few examples where ChatGPT is killing it and coming up with incredible poetry, world-changing ideas. But obviously, we have explained hallucinations and that these prompts and systems and platforms do get things wrong. 
And I want to ask you about the consequences when they get it wrong and they produce inaccurate information. So one example could be that I asked ChatGPT to produce an instruction manual on how to operate a forklift or something like that. And somebody then subsequently gets injured using that manual. Who would be liable for that? There's probably two bits of this question if I twist it slightly. There's one is who is liable legally and there's probably another one which is who should be accountable. And the answers are slightly different. So when you get down to the the nuances of negligence and tort law and those sorts of things, there are some loopholes in the existing set of laws that apply in Australia and elsewhere in the world around really making sure that the person who is responsible for the output, i.e. in this case developing that user guide instruction manual and making sure that they are actually accountable even if they've used AI to, to, to generate it, which then leads to the second point, which is sort of implicit in my answer to the first, which is if you are using AI to generate a manual or anything really, you should be accepting accountability for those actions. And, and this example is sort of then extrapolated up into the space of like automatic and automated cars. So Tesla and others, there's a lot of litigation in the US around what happens when the car crashes, when it shouldn't have crashed and whose fault is that and who's liable And it boils down to this sort of issues of negligence and accountability and also contractual T's and C's and whether Tesla said you still should have control of the car and this is a driver assist system and those sorts of things. So it's a complex and evolving area of law, but I think the way individuals should think of it is regardless of the tool I use to generate the output, I should be accountable for it, I think is the best way to think about it. Can you tell me about the current case where OpenAI, which is the company that's behind ChatGPT, they're being sued, right? There's there's a couple of cases around this going on, primarily in the US and the UK. But in essence, they all sort of boil down to the use of training data. So as I sort of said at the outset, so these models consume masses and masses of data, often just data that's available on the internet. And that could be, you know, books that have been published. And I think there was a bunch of cases around Google Books and those sorts of things. So there's whole texts of books published on the internet. So there's authors of those books claiming that OpenAI in consuming these books has breached their copyright ownership in, in those books. There's sort of similar cases going on around image generation systems where Getty Images, who is a sort of a stock photography sort of website, is claiming that, again these sort of models are consuming their copyrighted images for the purposes of developing and producing images, which will then ultimately compete with them in terms of organisations wanting stock photos and things like that. And that Getty Images case is sort of quite interesting because they watermark their images unless you've purchased them. And Stable Diffusion and Stability AI, which is producing some of these AI-generated images is actually reproducing some of the Getty Images watermarks on their images. So there's a bit going on in these cases, but basically they all relate to the training data which is being used by these models. There hasn't, as far as I'm aware, been any cases on the flip side, which is copyright infringement or IP infringement in relation to the output of that data and its use by a user of these systems, which for employers and employees is probably the more pertinent question. So if I use ChatGPT and it happens to reproduce someone's copyrighted work, am I infringing copyright? Technically, there's a risk there. Microsoft has come out and said, 
recently in the last few days that they'll actually offer an indemnity to protect against those risks for users of its systems. Just for people who may not know, what does indemnity, indemnity. mean? Basically, it means, so Microsoft has come out and saying, if, if you get sued for IP infringement or copyright infringement because you have used our AI system and it has produced copyrighted works, which you have then used, then they will pick up the legal bill. So that's, that's in sort their, their suggestion that, hey, there's technically a risk here, but we'll cover you if that risk eventuates. So please use our software. We've spoken a lot about the risks of using ChatGPT, but I'm sure there are plenty of positives. And you mentioned a few at the start, talking about bedtime stories for kids, basic life admin, creating recipes. Are there any other positives that you can think of and how somebody can use ChatGPT in a way that has that functionality purpose, makes their life a little bit easy, doesn't get them into any legal hot water? There's a ton of really interesting use cases, particularly when you extrapolate out basic sort of chat GPT functionality or LLM functionality into and sort of make it part of a bigger solution. So things like medical diagnostics. So these models are actually able to read diagnostic images and identify whether there's cancers or tumours or whatever else in them with really good degrees of accuracy. So that sort of medical piece, particularly around diagnostics, is, is really promising. But also just access to services. So basically, if you boil down what ChatGPT and LLMs enable, if you can get past the hallucinations issues and control some of those risks, is there's a huge productivity dividend. So rather than picking up legal services, rather than having to speak to a lawyer and get their advice and those sorts of things, there's a world in the future where you can just put in a prompt and the legal advice is potentially going to be really good. That will require, I think, a curated set of documents that are fed in. So it's not just an open source, jack of all trades model. It'll be a specific legal services model or a financial advice model or something like that. But that'll enable the price of these services to come down and basically enable really underserviced and disadvantaged parts of the community to get access to services they haven't been able to before across professional services, health services, all sorts of things. So I think that's a really big opportunity. Education's another really interesting space, like tailored education where these sort of models can be used in a situation where they can digest an individual's exam response, pull out where they have difficulties and maybe need to focus and then devise training plans and education plans based off really a tailored and personalised analysis of a child's needs. And that can be all done without intervention by a teacher. So it's a huge productivity dividend in terms of our educational system. Simon, you've covered an extraordinary amount of information uh, and tips as to how people can use ChatGPT and how it's already been used. I just want to ask you to finish off, what is the number one do and the number one don't about using ChatGPT at work? So I think the number one do, and I'll park the look at your works policy and make sure that you're allowed to use it. The standard point. lawyer. <laughs> the standard lawyer line. Assume the lawyer asterisk is done. Um, I think it's a bit curious, right? So AI is getting bigger and bigger. And unless you're curious and are actually playing with it, then I think you're going to ultimately be left behind by those who use it to their advantage. And part of that is, it's called prompt engineering. So it will give you different quality answers depending on how you prompt it. So things like, you know, can you tell me about the law of copyright? It'll give you an answer. 
if you say, can you tell me about the law of copyright in Australia as if I'm a five-year-old toddler so I understand it, it will give you a different answer. Again, if you prompt it saying you're a law firm partner, can you please advise a business on copyright in relation to this? Please use bullet points and general language and cite your sources. It'll give you a different response. So there's there's a lot to actually play to get the most out of chat GPT and other LLMs. And I think that's the number one do have a play. Uh, the don't is don't assume it's correct or right. That's probably the biggest one and don't stick sort of confidential and personal information in it unless you're really confident that you have the rights to. But yeah, just assume that it's wrong in the same way that you assume your Googling is wrong. Stress test everything that it does. Well, on that note, thank you so much for unpacking and explaining all of the legal questions that I have about ChatGPT and using AI source platforms. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Cheers. Pleasure, Amy. Lawfully Explained is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the Law Society of New South Wales. Hosted by me, Amy Dale. The Law Society's producer is Francisco Silva. Our audio is by Kelly Fulston. The executive producer is Todd Stevens. And the producer is Thomas Thexton. Listener.